Happy Father's Day. <laughs> it's so predictable. Said it, 9 o'clock. Nobody cares about Father's Day. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Even in our church, we do this enormous deal for Mother's Day, but for Father's Day, it's kind of like Happy Father's Day, and that's the, the response. I don't know why. I do want to, though, say we appreciate the dads. Appreciate fathers. We appreciate stepfathers, godfathers, surrogate fathers. Appreciate all manners of fathering that's deeply impacted folks' lives. So we thank you, dads, in and among us. Uh, church, this morning, this morning, I, I'm feeling a little uh, heavy and torn even as we celebrate uh, Dad's Day. Um, If you're new or visiting our church as a guest, I, I want you to do me a favor. That is, uh, I, I don't want you to walk out in the next five minutes from what I share. Uh, because you've never heard things like this in church. And, and if you're going, are they even a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, centered church? We are. For those of you that call New Community Home, we are. Can I get an amen? We are. But we believe that. This is part of the gospel, part of what it means to follow Jesus as today and the rest of the service will make clear. Um, I, I, I say that as an intro because my heart's been really, really burdened and I'm struggling to deal with the acquittal of Officer Yanez and the fatal shooting of Philando Castile. And if you're uh, not familiar with that, um, Philando Castile was, was shot and killed in his car um, by Officer Yanez and Officianis was acquitted uh, this week, and every time this happens, I, I'm finding myself struggling more and more on how to encourage my black and brown brothers and sisters who continue to hear these news. Um, and I realize that therefore so, there's uh, some of people in the church, maybe even some of you, this morning will say, you know what, Peter, you don't know everything that happened, you weren't in the courtroom, you don't know all the details of the case, and, and that is absolutely true, and, and I acknowledge that, but I, I, I do want to also point out that oftentimes those things seem to be uttered by folks who trust the system because the system works for them. Um, but for people of color, and you know the legacy an ugly legacy in this country, and that is that the system oftentimes doesn't work for them and oftentimes has worked against them. And it's hard to trust the system when the system has such a poor track record. And if you're wondering, why, why does new community take time to, to, to mourn, to lament, to, to highlight and take moments on a Sunday morning service to do stuff like this? Because... Because the deaths of black and brown brothers and sisters at the hands of law enforcement, the reason why we say black lives must matter is that we live in a country, oftentimes the sanctity and value of black and brown lives are called into question. Sometimes by the very fabric of our society and the systems 
that we live in. That's why we say and we speak up. See, as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that that I believe that a violent response is never the right one. Violence begets violence, and kingdom's way towards true justice demands that we leave justice in the hands of the ultimate one true judge. But I want to be absolutely clear. To be a follower of Jesus means that passivity is not the answer either. We must somehow keep working for justice in this world even as we await a more perfect justice to come. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice because they will be satisfied. And I am hungry and thirsty for justice, true justice. And I have to trust that the king that I worship will bring that satisfaction someday. I am grateful this morning to be a part of a church community where we don't just talk about justice, peacemaking, ministry reconciliation, but we actually try and practice what we preach. So we'll continue to protest. We will continue to speak out. We will continue to preach love. We will continue to pray. We'll continue to mourn and weep with those who mourn and weep. And without hesitation, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but without hesitation, we will continue to assert that black lives must matter in this world. And somehow we will try to encourage our black and brown brothers and sisters not to live in fear, but to live in hope. After all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was crucified as a victim of an unjust system, but he changed the world. So sometimes this is the only thing that I could hang on to when I feel like the systems of the world continue to fail those that I love again and again and again. Pastor Michael, who's been a, a friend, confidant, someone in ministry for 10 years. Sometimes when I don't have the words to speak or pray, I ask him to pray. Because God uses him as a vessel. So this morning, I asked him to just lead us in prayer as we spend just a moment to reflect. Can we all do that this morning? Join me, church. (sighs) We come still stunned as your church looking for the words even to say in prayer. But we come together as your church, bowing our heads and turning our hearts to our Father. And we come to you because you know You know what we need. You know where we are. And even as as our church does what many churches are doing, 
are bowing in prayer, you know where we are. And Lord, we, we want to pray this morning well. We want to pray to be your kingdom people. We want to pray uh, to represent you to the world that we live in, to this world that is unjust, to this world that is not always fair, to, to this world we want to be your people. But, 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 but our prayer this morning is not first for that. Our prayer this morning is for that little girl who celebrates Father's Day with the reminder that justice has not yet been served. For the little girl who was in the back seat of that car, hearing her mother's screams and hearing bullets enter Brother Philander. We pray for her as your church today. We have our own misunderstandings. We have our own questions. We have our own feelings. We have our own anger, even rage and sorrow. But we, we want to pray first for her, not for ourselves. Bless that little girl this morning. As she celebrates this Father's Day, as she comes to this day, we pray for her that you would be a father a heavenly father who knows what she needs and who grants her prayers even while she cannot understand. Be a father to her. Be a, be a prince of peace to her, Lord Jesus. Be, be the one who is just as the echo of this verdict rings in her ears. We pray that you would envelop her in every blessing and grace. We certainly need your grace, and Brother Philando's fiance needs your grace, and uh, po police officers need your grace. So many people need you to be merciful this morning. And as we continue to be a praying people, we pray that you would give us the words to ask and to intercede for all of us. But this morning, we bring that little girl to the altar today. Be a company keeper to her. Be the God, as the psalmist says, who collects tears for her. Be the one who can be trusted for her. Lord Jesus, you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon you. May your stripes be healing for her today. And may you find us praying for her even as we love our own children. May we love that girl even as we uh, be ambassadors at our jobs and in our schools and in our libraries and hospitals and so on. May we be good to the people in front of us for her. Give us every grace not for ourselves 
but for her. We ask these things because we believe they're not difficult for you. We ask these things before we hear the sermon because you're able to turn our attention fully to you today. We pray for these things in thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we, uh, this morning... Help each other out. I uh, I find it really hard to just kind of uh, move along in the service uh, when we do moments like this. And I imagine for you as well. So let's keep each other in prayer. And that we hold on one hand Pastor Michael's prayer and, and thoughts in our hearts and our minds this morning, even as we hear from God's word. It's actually not that much of a stretch to tie what we're talking about in light of what's happened. Uh, we're talking about this topic of spiritual gifts. And, and I know that, that in a typical room like this, there are those of us for whom spiritual gifts and the topic of it is something we've talked about a lot in church and very familiar with it. And you grew up in a church where it was talked about, exercise. And then there are those of us for whom this is a foreign topic you might vaguely be aware of it, might have some misunderstanding. But, but in light of what we're talking about this morning, this becomes even more important. In order to understand spiritual gifts, you need to understand the foundations of, of, of Christianity and where we come from, particularly as you read Genesis to Revelation. Understanding Christianity and understanding our world begins with the recognition that when God created humanity, he created humanity to live in relationship with him this way, that he would be our master, that he would be our Lord, he would be our king, as Carlton, the worship team, reminded us this morning, and that we would live under his rule and reign. And God gave man a choice, live under my rule and reign or choose some other way. And man decided to choose some other way. And into the world came sin and alienation and devastation. And last week I briefly talked about the four rings of alienation of what happened to the world. So it begins here. Moments and enters, we are alienated from God or there's spiritual alienation. We're cut off from God. In order to understand how you and I, all humanity, relate to God, perhaps if you will think with me a solar system with sun at the center, the sun at the center and planets orbiting the sun. The sun, 333,000 times the mass of earth is at the center and all these planets orbit around the sun, including Pluto, which is 3.6 billion miles away. And the solar system works because all the planets orbit around the sun, centered around the sun. Imagine for a moment what would happen if each of the planets decided we no longer want to orbit around the sun. We no longer want to center around the sun. Devastation. Catasmic collision. Do you know that the Bible says that you and I were created to center on God? Do you know that you and I were created to orbit around God? Do you know that you and I were centered right, to live for his glory? But you know what sin does? Sin says, I don't want to live for your glory. I don't want to center myself on you. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own master. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A moment that happened, spiritual alienation. Man is cut off from God. So we wrestle inwardly with one hand, wanting God's love, wanting God's, wanting God's joy, wanting God's presence. In the other hand, we're traumatized by his presence and we want to run. Spiritual alienation. But that's not all that happened. And this is why it's important. Because some of us, if you will, think Christianity and the essence of it and the work of Christ on the cross ended right there. That it's as if our relationship with God is the only thing that it was marred by sin. And that if we could just get our relationship with God right, then everything. That's not all that happened, church. The second thing that happened, according to Genesis 3, is that when man became alienated from God, he became alienated from himself. When you don't know who God is, you don't know who you are. What does that look like? Here's what that looks like. Creation that was created to find meaning, significance, and worth in God. When sin causes you to reject the only source of meaning, significance, and worth, we begin to look at other things and other people to find significance and worth. But you and I both know that is a dead end. The hunger pangs in our souls to find significance and worth in jobs, people, career, marriage, money, success, whatever have you, no longer satisfies. Now, knowing who God is, we don't know who we are, what we want. But it doesn't end there. Because not only does man not know himself, what's the first thing that happens? Marriage issues, backbiting, blaming each other as husband and wife now are no longer transparent, authentic, and real with each other. And they begin to hide. James 4 says, why is there warring among you? Why is there injustice, oppression, and war? Listen to what scripture says. It says, it says that all those things exist because of sin that began when our relationship with God was broken. And it led to our relationship with ourselves being broken, which leads to us in an alienation with each other. The left blames our world's ills on injustice, war, oppression, and racism. And the right likes to say it's personal responsibility family breakdown and all these things the scripture says it's all of the above it's all of the above stop dichotomizing it and politicizing it scripture says it's all of the above social alienation it leads to what lastly physical alienation God says to Adam you were created to have dominion over all of the earth but now the ground will fight you will not work with you enter into the world sickness death decay all of these things began as a chain reaction when man decided i'm going to be my own master let me ask you a question what does the gospel according to jesus christ say what is it that jesus christ came to do in his death and resurrection good lord good lord he didn't come and say, God came to reconcile. Can you put that up there? God came to reconcile you so that your spiritual relationship with God would be near, right? What did he say? He said, repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes and says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. And listen carefully because this is what makes sense of Christianity. The kingdom of God is the restoration, put that back up there again, restoration and the healing of every single one of those areas when it comes under his kingship and his lordship. Is that good news to anybody? The kingdom of God is the healing and restoration of the physical, social, spiritual, and psychological realms when it comes under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul, all over the New Testament, but particularly in Colossians 1, says this. 
Colossians chapter 1, in talking about the ministry of Jesus, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, check this out, church, to reconcile. That is the word restored, put back to him. What? Say it with me. All things. Come on, somebody. All things on the cross and on earth and in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The kingdom of God is the healing of all of those areas of creation when it comes under the rule and reign of God. Now, we live in a fallen, broken world, so the healing will be partial. It's not full yet until he returns. But you better believe that it's substantial. The healing of God. Now, having said all that, do you realize what spiritual gifts are? Spiritual gifts are nothing less than, listen to this, whether you're new or familiar with this. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than kingdom powers of Christ deposited into every single believer to bring about some level of restoration and healing with that relationship, that society, that culture, whatever it is, comes under his rule and his reign. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than abilities empowered by the Spirit given to every single, and we're talking about this, every single Christian. So that through you, the work that Jesus began, God continues in some aspect. We are able to bring onto bear part of Christ's kingdom powers. Anybody, hello anybody, this is good news. His kingdom powers in such a way that you're able to bring somebody more under his worship so that there's healing and rest. That is what spiritual gifts are. So for some of you that grew up in church, you think spiritual gifts, first and foremost, it's not just about what you do in the church. It's about the kingdom. Spiritual gifts is not just about you and what you need to do in the church. We're going to get to that next week. I'm sorry you won't be here next two weeks. By the way, we have a father of a daughter who was married like yesterday. He's from California. Yeah. And I saw him this morning. None of his family's here. I'm like, why are you here? He goes, and your words were, I came back to hear the word. Like, man, all the way from your family sleep. Amen. Sleep and all this. This, where was I going? What was I talking about? What was I talking I know what I was talking about. Because when you get this, when you understand this, you realize that everybody in this room, hello anybody, everybody in this room has been giving part of Christ's ministry powers so that you would bring healing in someone's spiritual, psychological, social, and physical life. What could give you more sense of worth and value as a follower of Jesus than that? Good Lord, if we were to, do you realize that Chicago can be healed and restored by the power of the gospel through his vessel? That's in you. That's in me. That, hey, it's just, un, that's what for some of us that grew up in church and we think spiritual gifts, like I've gifted to serve and I got to pass out bullets. I'm going, back it up. Look at it from 30,000 foot perspective. You got kingdom work out there in your home, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your workplace, in your school to bring something more under his lordship. Good Lord. That's uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, in case you weren't here last week. That was all review. By the way, I won't go too long because I want to do communion this morning and uh, we'll see how far we can get. But what we're doing this morning is we're going back up to Ephesians chapter 4. 
And as we do in our church, we just go verse by verse and just go. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Spiritual gifts. I am praying for you that you would get this. I am praying for you that you would get this. Kingdom ministry powers. Kingdom ministry powers. Deposited in every single follower of Jesus to bring about healing and restoration as they come under lordship. What an amazing truth. But Paul begins that incredible truth section by beginning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Any conversation on spiritual gifts begins here. It's about discipleship. It's about discipleship. Which means that what we're talking about for the next several weeks runs directly in the face of a consumer culture we live and breathe in. This is not an easy topic to handle. You're not going to like what I have to say. Because you and I swim in a consumer culture that says, we exist for your preferences, your wants, and your desires. You are at the center of the universe. And that's directly contradictory to the Savior who said the following words in Mark chapter 10, verse 4, 45. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Everything that we're talking about spiritual gifts needs to be understood in the context of the fact that this is a discipleship issue. It's a lordship issue. Why is that important? Do you know what word is not found in the Bible? I looked. The word volunteer. I looked really hard this week. The word volunteer is nowhere. Why do we use that in church if it's not a biblical word? Why do we use, I know, see, we, we know what you mean. We need volunteers, and we, 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 and I get it, I get it. Volunteerism, I get it. But here's the thing about volunteer, you ready? Volunteer means that you still call the shots. I will choose to volunteer. Or I will choose not to volunteer. Do you know that the word disciple is found 269 times in the New Testament? By the way, the word Christian, it only appears three times in the New Testament. And it was referred, actually, to a sect of Jews who could no longer be called sect of Jews. So they called them Christians. 269 times disciple, three times Christian, zero times volunteer. Why is that important? If you need to get this, get it here. Fundamental to Christian life is this. When I become a Christian, he becomes my master, my Lord. That means that everything I have, my time, my effort, my energy, is for his purposes. It begins there. It begins there. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do you take this seriously? Make every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. Do you take seriously the fact that God says, I take all these incredibly diverse people and I supernaturally create unity. Your job, do everything possible to keep the unity. Do you do that? Do I do that? Can I, have a can I make a confession? I don't take this seriously. Do you know why? Because there are relationships that are not right in my life. But it doesn't cause me to stay up at night and go, what can I do to make them right? You know why I don't take this seriously? Because when I hear gossip, slander, unedifying talk, I don't shut it down immediately and go, that's hurtful, that's harmful, I don't want to hear it. Let me ask you again. Do you take seriously, make every effort 
to keep the bond of peace. How do you today, right now, how are you handling relationships that are not right? How are you handling relationships that are right? Do you follow the Jesus who said in Matthew 5, somewhere on the mount, if you know that you have something that you're not right with somebody, don't come to worship. Leave the gift at the altar. You go back home and you make it right, then come. Do you take him seriously? Your marriage, your friendships, your relationship with your dad, your mom, people sitting next to you. Do you take seriously scripture's injunction? Make every effort. Verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. And what Paul says is absolutely amazing because he's always saying, he's saying even though there's enormous diversity in the body. I mean, look at y'all. Enormous in the body in terms of giftings and abilities that God does in the most fundamental foundational way, we're the same. How? Paul says, in our experience of salvation. Paul goes, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. He says, the way that I became a Christian is exactly the same way everybody became a Christian here. And that experience was exactly. Why is that important? Can I tell you why it's important? Because you know what we do in the church? Have you gone to churches like this? When somebody gives a testimony on a Sunday, what kind of testimonies do you hear? Here's my experience. I've never heard a testimony of somebody who said, I became a Christian because when I was three years old, I knelt by my bedside and I welcomed Jesus into my heart. I don't hear that. You know what I hear in churches? I was out there doing, la, 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 la. I, in other words, we in church love, oh, my gosh, look at the testimony. That's amazing. But you know what the drawback that, and the danger that is? We go that and we go, I don't have that dramatic of a testimony. I don't have a dramatic salvation story like that. So God could use them, but God can't use me. Hello, anybody? We fall into this danger. Who's just Paul's correcting? One, 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 one. He goes, one test, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Why is he doing that? He's literally going, listen, I am probably the most famous church planter in the world. I am probably, this is me saying about him. I probably changed the face of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And I became a Christian because I was walking down Damascus Road and he appeared to me. That's how I became a Christian. And then he goes, but you know what? The way I became a Christian and my salvation is absolutely no different. Than you. Why? Same Lord, same baptism, same spirit. Is that good news? That means that for 80% of us who don't have that, I would this and that, that testimony, you're sitting there going, can God use me? The answer is what? Absolutely yes. It's not about your testimony or what you're brought out of. It's the fact that the spirit of God and the way he regenerated you, same way he regenerated him. Same adoption into the fatherhood, same adoption for you. You best believe that. You better believe that. Then he says in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let me break that down into three parts, and then I think we're going to try and wrap up then. But to each one of us, that's the first part, grace has been given. That's the second part, as Christ apportioned it. Three parts to spiritual gifts and what he says here. First of all, to each one of us. When you become a Christian, every single one of us, Brother Zox, are you in here? Brother Zox, he's our, he's our 
community life pastors. One of the language that he uses that irritates me but is so true is he keeps talking about, he says, he says, he says, Pastor Peter, every one of us has a calling. He is, he is relentless. Calling. Calling. We're all called. We have a calling. We're all called. And I go, oh, that's kind of an old archaic word. And then I realize, worthy of the calling. Do you know what calling means? Check this out. It's a divine call. In other words, it's a vocation that's given to you that's more than just, you know, I just do a little. It's a God-called, God-empowered, God-initiated responsibility. There's kingdom assignment for you. When you become a Christian, this is why it's ridiculous that there are passive, non-functioning, do-jack Christians walking around all over planet Earth. That's incompatible with Christianity. The Bible says every, every single person who becomes a Christian, you have a calling, a vocation, a kingdom assignment with your name on it. You and I walk out of here and people go, are you pretty? Are you smart? How much money do you have? Who do you know? That's where you get worth and value. And I will tell you right now, in the kingdom of God, God reverses those values and go, every single son and child of God who's come into the body through the Holy Spirit, you are given a kingdom assignment and a spirit-empowered ability that the church absolutely needs to fulfill the mission of Jesus. What could give you more worth and value than that? So here's the thing. Be careful of the danger of gift cop-out. Be care What's a gift cop-out? Well, first form of gift cop-out is, well, I just can't do anything. I can't play keys and sing like Carlton, and I can't preach like though, and I can't. That is contradictory to everything that we talked about up to this point. It's for someone to say, well, I don't have any ability, so I can't do anything. The Bible says to each and every single person is given Christ's ministry powers. So if you're sitting here going, well, I don't have anything, I want you to do something for me. I want you to rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Rebuke that thought, especially for some of you. Let me get it. See, some of us struggle with that. Not because we're like, oh, I don't care. Some of us struggle with that because of our past. See, some of us struggle with that because of our past and some stuff we've done. Maybe even last night. See, some of us struggle with this because of our past, and the accuser, the enemy, would come and go, how can God possibly use you? He could use you. And he continues to bring up the past to haunt you. I want to say to you right now on the authority of Scripture, authority of God, that the moment that you became a Christian, God wiped your slate clean. I want you to know that the moment you became a Christian, regardless, I don't care what you did, how far gone you were, I don't even care if you're playing on the gates of hell. Jesus Christ says there's second, third, fourth, fifth chances for anybody. And I have a mission for you. Is that good news? So if there's anybody sitting here going, well, I can't be used by God, you know, because it, <sighs> we don't live in the past. Learn from your past, but don't live in the past. Why? Because one of my favorite Psalms his mercies are new, what? Every morning. You are a new creature in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Oh, real quick. The other form of gift cop-out for some of us is this. Share my faith with somebody. Oh, I don't have that gift. Remember this, please. And we'll talk more about this next week. Every single gift is also a duty of a Christian. We may not all have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to what? evangelism. We may not all have the gift of service. We're all called to 
serve. We may not have the gift to help. We're all called to help and so on and so on and so on and so on. Please be careful of the gift of Papa. Each one of us. And then grace has been given. I need to sit down for this because this is going to get a little bit. Why does Paul say grace has been given? I'll talk a little bit more next week, church, about the difference between spiritual gifts and talent. I know many of you are wondering, like, what's, I'm not talking about that. But today, can I just share something? Do not confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual maturity. I wish this wasn't the case. I wish this wasn't the case. Some of the most spiritually gifted people are some of the most spiritually immature people walking around. And you're dangerous. See, I wish it wasn't the case that there's no correlation between giftedness and maturity. I wish that wasn't the case. But the Bible says that your gift is a grace thing, which means, which means, listen, we're all called to have spiritual fruit, joy, love, peace, kindness, patience. But not all of us have spiritual gifts. See, the reason why this is critical for me is this. Some of you, some of you, church, listen. Your giftedness will outpace your character. And I'll say that again. Your giftedness will outpace your character, and you're just going to wind up devastating things. Well, why are you speaking with so much conviction on that? Because you're looking at the ultimate example of someone who has had to learn this lesson the hard way. Can I tell you what happened in my 20s? Part of my 30s? But before I planted this church. In my 20s, here's what would happen. I'd go to retreats to speak. My spiritual life was in the tanks. I was so far from God. My heart was cold, right? So I'd go to retreats and speak. And amazingly, people were like, whoa. I'd do one-on-one counseling. People were like, whoa. And inside I'm going, I'm spiritually back. Furthest thing from it. You know what was happening? These situations and conditions were just drawing out gifts that had absolutely no correlation to where I was spiritually. Listen to me, new community. I fear and I pray. That a church like ours, which has so many amazingly gifted people, will ignore and minimize your character, your integrity, and your spiritual vitality just because God is using you. Do not do that. Don't do that. Do not do that. If you know that spiritually in your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, sometimes I'm going to go sit down. Do not be fooled into thinking that there is a correlation between spiritual maturity I'm reminded of Jesus' words to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are so busy, but one thing is needed. Sit at my feet. 
part of me is like, please don't learn the hard way like I did. Please don't learn the hard way like I did. Each one of us, grace has been given. And then lastly, Christ apportioned it. Please be careful of the danger of gift arrogance. Please be careful to get into the gift arrogance. What do I mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. We'll look at it next week. Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Everybody, can you all look up here? Can you all look up here for a second? I'm just, see, when I say be careful of gift arrogance in our church, the, the, the danger is not people walking around going, I'm all that and then some. Because if you're like that in our church, we kick you out. I'm just kidding. We lovingly say to you, you're not all that. Come on. The ground at the cross is leveled. We're all sinful. We know. But here's the thing. You know how gift arrogance applies in our church? We go this. We do this. I'm passionate about that. I care about that. I love that. Why don't you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's my passion. And I'm good at it. And God is using me. And people that are passionate, good at loving what I do, you're mature. You love Jesus. But the other people, you know what I realized this morning after I preached this? I do this with my wife. It is almost impossible for me to see the gifts and strength in my wife that are totally opposite of me. I am very critical and judgmental of the areas that I feel she's lacking in. And almost all of those areas, surprise, surprise, are strengths of mine. Let me ask you something. Those of you that are like, I care about justice. We need to care about justice. When is the last time you sat here and you thanked Somebody who's wiping a baby's butt in the nursery. When's the last time you looked around and you go, man, I'm so thankful that what I'm not very good at and care about, these amazing men and women, Look at that. Or are you sitting there going, oh, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they care about what I care about? Why aren't they passionate? Because he, God, distributed just as what? He wanted. I'm being serious. Let me ask you a question. I didn't ask this morning. Which is more important? That new community is more like you? Or the new community? is more like Jesus. Good Lord. Stop it with the arrogance. Stop it with the arrogance. Stop it with the, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I want to go, what's wrong with you? Stop it with the gift arrogance. And I'll talk more about this next week. Gift arrogance will destroy churches. Everybody's like, What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you do what I do? Why don't you do what I do? Here's a simple answer. He distributed and apportioned it as what? As he will. So church, next week we're going to actually go delve into, and I don't have time for this today, I'll delve into actually the various gifts that the New Testament talks about. There's five passages, five passages that talk and list gifts. And there are Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 if you're taking notes, and 1 Peter 4. And two things real quick, and then, and then I don't have time to go through all of them, because I know, I know, I know, I know, if you're paying attention, you're suddenly going, what are these gifts? I want to know what I am. 
I know, we'll get to that. But here's, here, here's two things you need to know. First and foremost, all of these lists are not exhaustive, but illustrative. What do I mean? These gifts are not the total of every single spiritual gift that's out there. Matter of fact, I see spiritual gifts, in my humble opinion, that the New Testament doesn't list. And I'll talk about those in the next couple of weeks. But what these lists are, they're illustrative. They're saying, hey, these are some of the gifts that God has distributed. So that's one. Number two, when you look at these gifts, they separate into the ministry of Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and kings were God's instruments for ministry. And all the Old Testament pointed to Jesus as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And the amazing thing is Jesus then turns around and says, when I go up to heaven, I am not going to distribute gifts that are prophetic, priestly, and kingly. You go, well, where do you find that? Let me show you. Where's Peter? Chapter 2, verse 9. Talking about the church, the body of Christ. Says, but you are a chosen people, a royal, that's kingly, priesthood, that's priestly, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare, that's prophetic, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As a body of Christ, right here, right here. How amazeballs is that? Right here. There are kingly gifts, there are priestly gifts, there are prophetic gifts. There are right here, right here in our room, there are kings, there are priests, and there are prophets. Oh, man, right here. Right here, right here in this room. You have some over here in the kingly, some over here in the prophetic. I'll get to next week. You have some over here in the prophetic and some over here in the priesthood. What are these gifts? I don't have time to go over them today, but I'm going to highlight one or two and then we'll be done. First, under prophetic gifts, you find gifts like exhortation. You find gifts like teaching. You find gifts like prophecy. You find gifts like pastoring. By the way, I have bad news for some of you. There's no such thing as a spiritual gift of counseling. Do you know why? Because sometimes, I don't know if you can relate, the best counselor for me was someone who would just sit there and just listen. But sometimes I needed a counselor who would be like, stop, stop blubbering. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up. Sometimes I needed a counselor. Which is, in other words, sometimes you need counseling of exhortation, counseling of teaching, Counseling of prophecy, counseling of, you see what I'm saying? There's no one person that does all of them. That's why there's no gift of counseling. Keep going. There's a gift of evangelist under prophetic, gift of discernment. Can I say something? You know what's weird? Have you noticed? Everybody thinks they have the gift of discernment. <laughs> I kid you not. You guys, I'm serious. When I talk to somebody in our church, I go, so what spiritual gifts do you have? I kid you not, nine out of ten times, somebody will go, hmm, well, first is gift of discernment. Second, and as soon as they say that, you know what I do? I immediately go here. If you have the gift of discernment, which, by the way, is the ability to judge motives in people, people with gift of discernment are able to judge their own motives first. Their own heart. Their own ego. So when I meet someone with a gift of discernment who is completely self-unaware, I go, I wonder what other areas you're totally self-unaware about. Gift of discernment. I want to say it next week more. 
First and foremost, you are aware of your own motives. You're never proud. You're never arrogant. You're never judgmental. You never sit on a high horse. Quickly, moving on, then the gift of missionary. That's prophetic. Under priestly gifts, you have gift of giving. I, I, couldn't, I don't have a gift. I don't, I don't make a lot of money. I didn't say gift of earning. I said gift of giving. And all the... Anyway, let's move on. Gift of service, gift of helps, gift of mercy under priestly, gift of hospitality. And then lastly, kingly gifts. And again, I'll go into all of these in more detail next week. There are leadership gifts, there are administration gifts, there are wisdom gifts, and there are faith gifts. See, uh, Kevin, come on up. Do you realize when you look at all the gifts, none of them. Do you know what's amazing to me? Listen, everybody, we're almost done. I'll wrap it up in a minute or two. I want to take communion. When you look at all the gifts, do you realize that when all the gifts are working, Every single human need that exists in our society can be met. When all the spiritual gifts are working, every single human, spiritual, psychological, social, every single need on earth can be met. Why? As we saw last week, these aren't just talents or natural. These are supernaturally empowered gifts to continue to do what Jesus began to do, Acts chapter 1. Which means some of you through your prophetic, priestly, kingly gifts can draw someone to Jesus, can work with the poor, can fight for justice, can extend mercy and in such a way that every need in Chicago can be met. Does anybody else find that amazing? That <sighs> and the best part is he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory, meaning the best part is the watching world in Chicago, people who have nothing to do, want to do nothing to do with Jesus, will actually look and go, well, look at that. Hmm. Is that who you're talking about when you talk about Jesus? Loving, compassionate, just, kind, faithful, merciful, generous Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. I'll get more into these next week and talk specifically so you can walk out of here and be used for his kingdom. Let's pray, church. Wow. Wow, the potential, the potential that lies in this room, the potential to impact the city of Chicago and the world. Some of y'all have gifts that are just lying dormant. Some of you even know, don't even know what your gifts are, and yet you're just doing it. You're exercising them. God's using you mightily. Some of you, please listen. Some of you, the beginning point, the beginning point of this journey is to recognize that your giftedness outpacing your character and integrity and intimacy with Jesus is something that you need to address. Don't put that off. Do not put that off. Even in this time of communion, take advantage of it. Take advantage of time just to sit for a minute or two. If you need to ask for forgiveness, for using your gifts and 
abilities at the stake and cost of intimacy with God, go before the cross today and say, Lord, forgive me. For those of you who have centered on yourself, have used your gifts and resources for yourself and not for the kingdom, perhaps repentance for you means I've forsaken you as Lord and Master. Help me to come under your rule and reign. However the Spirit convicts. But remember that when you come up, today particularly, that we are acknowledging the body of Christ. When I break this bread, it doesn't just signify, church, that this is the body of Christ in which he died for us to reconcile us to God. But by his death and resurrection, he forms this thing called the body. Here's what that means. When you come and take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup, you're acknowledging I'm a part of the body. Which further means, what am I doing to participate in the body, to contribute to the body? What am I doing? How am I using what God has given me for his kingdom? Today, we're going to have one station. We normally have two because here's the thing. I want you to take your time and I want you to, instead of having your eyes closed, I want you to look up. I want you to look specifically at the men and women that will come to the line and go back because I want you to look at every single soul and I want you to take a moment to thank and praise God that God made them different, that God made them different passions, different gifts, different abilities. I want you to intentionally today do that so that God would warm your heart to acknowledge that he formed the body just as he desires. So take a moment today to celebrate not just your relationship with God, but the gift of the body of Christ. Pastor Michael and Susie will be up front. And the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he broke it, he said, thanks. He said, take this as my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It represents the fact that we do not enter into this relationship with the throne room with God based on our merit, our morality, our goodness, but based on the sacrifice of Christ. It is through his blood that we are made sons and daughters, kingdom ambassadors. It's grace from being to end. So again, church, when you're ready, but man, today especially, sit up, open your eyes, look at every single brother or sister, part of your body that comes up and goes back. And just take a moment to go, God, I thank you. I thank you for him. God, I thank you for him. Thank God for this body.